that what I love about this work at the Crown Office is that you can illuminate the document any way you want. Yeah, right. They don't tell you, you've got to have an E, capital yeah. E. Yeah. That's it. Mm. You can then choose any royal symbols or whatever you feel like. But when it comes to the borders, each side, you've got free reign. Right. And so then you can draw on all that kind of, you know, stuff and just, I mean, the one I did for the Duke of Cambridge, I, I had, um, I think he was in the Air Force at the time and he was doing air sea rescue. And, um, and I thought, well, he's going to be Prince of Wales at some stage. So I, yeah. I did this red dragon yeah. flying in the margin. Yeah. He was literally rescuing the Lion of England. He was pulling yeah. the Lion of England by one foot. You know, just doing little things like that. But yeah. They loved it. You know, they, they said this is really funny. It's fun, but it's but it's fun, but it, that is now enshrined in a document for the next thousand years. It's gonna be quite interesting as thousand so, someone looking at that and thinking, What is the significance of this red dragon? It might have been lost by then, but I don't know. But it it'll be quite interesting. That just but, gave um, that just gave me sort of shivers down my spine because in a way that's what we need now. We need a we need the Prince of Wales, hopefully is William perhaps, to pull and save the English from what's going on. So this, this maybe this is something that's deep down is felt, right? It's, maybe. Today we're speaking with a really special guest. He's also a Greenwood member too. I've got Andrew Jameson, who is a world-leading master heraldic artist and a scribe and illuminator for the King's Crown Office. They do all the sacred documents of state and also work for the College of Arms, which does all the official crowns heraldry. There's only a few of these guys left in existence who know the ancient art. It's what the monks did to illuminate the medieval document. We talk about heraldry, his work for the crown, king's royal warrants, and sustaining their true function and value. It's the importance of heraldry to the Englishman and English history, and today, raising the yeoman into England's story and telos, and why people seek him out and hire him to be a part of their own teleology, including Americans. So it's really exciting to have him here. What I actually do, the materials that I use, some of them haven't changed in a thousand years. Yeah. Uh, I'm still, you know, the, the calfskin vellum, uh, that hasn't changed. I still write with goose and swan quills. Still one of the best writing implements ever. Goes on forever lasts forever it's fantastic um gold gold leaf obviously yeah um gold powder which i turn into paint and mm. you know these are things that have gone on and on and on but um i'm glad that there was a resurgence of the medieval back in the time of sort of william morris mm. i think really had that not happened I, i'm not so sure heraldry would have had a second winding as it were um it's and things like the art workers guild as well as as help but um yeah and it's 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 interesting i mean it's especially interesting for me because um we've now got a king on the throne yeah who is an artist Mm. and he is a fairly traditional minded artist so that's going to be quite interesting to see how that sort of works I mean, they've already criticised him over the years for some of the stuff he's done. Mm. But he's definitely interested in traditional arts and crafts, which is a good thing. But, you know, the symbols we use, as you say, are they're ancient. I mean, they go way back before heraldry. I mean, they were being used in the ancient world. Um, as long as it had been a flat surface, a warrior has decorated it with meaningful totems, emblems, be Roman, Greek whatever i mean and griffins go back to babylonian times i mean so for me that's fantastic that i'm still working in a field where we're using these these uh emblems that are as old as man and they still have the same sort of significance and what's fun is when you get somebody say i I want a coat of arms and then they say you know i'm from scotland but part of my uh, blood is from Croatia or wherever, and I want to reflect this ethnicity in this coat of arms. I want the, you know, because it is, it is a. Um, I don't want to use the word logo, but really, it's a personal logo. It's kind of, it it, sh- it should um, identify who you are as a person, exactly, you know, and um, all your best attributes. Um, 
sometimes people, I mean, it's really funny because some people come to me and they say, I want this, I want, they always, div <laughs> they always divide a shield into four squares and say, I want this in that corner, this in this corner. And I have to say, no, 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 we've got to stop. No, no, we need to turn back because um, heraldry is supposed to be really simple. The simpler, the better for identification purposes. Obviously, and originally, when you're on a battlefield or in a tournament, the, the shield had to be simple and uh, easily recognizable and not to look like anything else. That's the key. It has to be original and unique to that person and his family. And so um, that's still that's still the mainstay of what I do. You, you know, people will come to me with all kinds of stuff and want everything but the kitchen sink. My job is to par it down and say, well, you know, we need just, you know, we can have a lion, but we can, you know, and we just bring all these sort of simple elements in, and the simpler the better, um, because medieval her medieval heraldry was really simple. Think about William the Marshal, golden green shield with the red lion, fantastic. Everyone knows it, everyone recognised it, um, and that's how it should be. It should be really simple, but the but the elements are very very old. I mean, that's it's amazing really, and um, I I actually pinch myself now that I'm in 2023, and I'm actually still doing this. You know, this tradition, which is, you know, started in the 1100. You know, we, you get these stories and they say that it was done because you had to be identified in battle and you know, all this sort of stuff. Well, yeah, to some extent, I think that's probably true. But medieval battlefield, if you think about it, was absolutely horrendous. I mean, there was blood and gore. And if you had a shield, that thing's going to be covered in muck within minutes. So you're not going to recognize anything that's painted on that shield. So I think it was probably designed more for banners because banners are above the troops and they could see this banner or that banner and they'd know where to go and for safety or, or who the enemy was. And I think, I think heraldry as an identification was probably more for tournaments where you're going up against your opponents and in all your full helmet with crests and all this kind of stuff, you know, to show off peacocks, you know, I'm, I'm, here I am and I'm going to beat you. I mean, you've seen the knight's tale, you know, that's what, it, it's that kind of thing, you know, and, um, and the heraldry was all part of that. But it was all tied into um, the culture as well, because prior to a tournament, if a knight had insulted a lady, they'd have a um, a crest show, so all the helmets and the crests would be on display. And if any of the knights, the evening previous banquet or whatever, had insulted a lady, she'd point to the crest of the knight and they would knock the helmet to the floor. And he wasn't allowed to take part in that day's tournament. It was a, like a dishonor. That sort of thing's fascinating. But that tells you that they all knew the heraldry of the people involved. Even yeah. down, yeah. you know, the ladies, ladies of the court. Yeah. But um, that's kind of interesting, I think. Um, but it was definitely about display. It was definitely about going out and finding an opponent mm. to fight for honour and being identified as doing that and, mm. and saying, you know, here I am, come and get me. I think um, it's very, it was very martial. Another thing about heraldry is when you think about, say, Liverpool football team, the mascot, in a sense, is a symbol for the overarching hyperagent between them all, their organism, intersubjective organism. And I think with these clans or, f or families, they all have retainers, they all have a, a, lot, a descendant line, uh, especially the larger ones. So I think in a sense that represents the ethic of the people uh, that are under that banner, but also it represents something that people can aspire to. When we looked to Shakespeare, he buys himself uh, the, his own arms, which you, I'm sure you know. He buys uh, as it, when he becomes old. And what that, that means is, is that you're born, say you're a peasant, whatever it is. There's a, there's a way in England, and there always has been, that it wasn't on the continent, to enter England's teleology and story. And so when you buy your own arms at the Herald's office or whatnot, you were in a sense of you're reaching a level of achievement where you're entering the story. 
whatever it may be. And that's, that's achievable. It's something everyone can aim for because he was just a, well, it depends on which story you believe for what Shakespeare was, but plenty yeah. of people entered the gentry and were able to buy arms. And so you enter, and those arms then make you, you enter all of our being because they survive after. You're not, it's not just a statistic on a piece of paper. It's something that has an embedded meaning for, for who you were. Um, and that's what the king is supposed to do, right? So that's why I think this is so important, the heraldry office, because it's how are we imbuing meaning into to people in our nation or even ethnos, because it's something that's very old. O only true nations are something that's ethnos, right? It goes back to a line of uh, the very old soul, you could call it. So mm -hmm. that's why I think what you do is so important and what the, herald the heraldry is so important because that is significant. It's saying this is significant. This is something that means something. It's not a statistic because we've become homo economicus. That's what they've made us into. Thing on a piece of paper. We were never that. We've descended to, to animals. They've made us animals where what the heraldry does, it's, it puts you in the being that none of us own alone, that we're all guardians of, which is this... English soul, right? That's what, what I think of what you do. What do you think of that? Yeah, well, the thing is, no, I think um, it's quite right when you mentioned the word achievement. I mean, the, 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 the proper term for a coat of arms is an achievement of arms. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. You achieve the arms. And um, so it's kind of, um, and it also gives you a rank. Yeah. It's gentleman. Mm. You're a gentleman of coat armor. Yeah. So that's where the term gentleman comes from. Um, right. You know, it's not, um, it was a, it's a, the first step up the ladder, I suppose. Uh, after Agin, I think Agincourt, the Battle of Agincourt, I think Henry V made, granted arms to 15 or Yum. 16 ordin ordinary people. Yeah, mainly right. Because of what they did in the battle. So, and they achieve, you know, that's an achievement. Achievement of arms means that you've achieved this thing that the king has given. You. And um, so that we don't we don't we don't use that term very often. It's called a coat of arms, or but it's actually a, an achievement of arms. Wow! I'm so glad I had you on because this fits <laughs> right into my theory about what happens here. Is that Agincourt, the yeomen go over every able-bodied mm. man in England has been training with the longbow. He goes over to, they go over to Agincourt in these battles in France. They're starting to imitate the king. This is where they get the immortal soul of England, right? Because as Avola talks about, is the Frankish, Frankish empire was what it was because it didn't need to be top-down governed because the lords had the soul of the empire in them, which the king, now you get that by imitating Arthur. By, you see this in Arthurian legend too, is the visage flashes on the faces of all the knights. So in Agincourt, the yeomen go over, they've been training with the longbow, they've, they're sort of ascending from what they were, they're, they're enacting their will on the world, and for the first time, they level the field and destroy these mounted nobles, and they enter this warrior class. And as you've just said, the king lifts them up and gives them the achievement of arms, which means, oh, you're now enchanted as the soul. And so they, and they've learned off him and the knights and they've become something that they weren't before. And that's what the yeoman is that, that's unique to England is he's got the empire within. It doesn't mean that everyone's that. You have to earn it like you have. You have to earn it yeah. with achievement, but there's a pathway to it. It's a walk kind of a warrior club, freeholder class. Mm -hmm. um, that has the empire in its soul, and it doesn't need to be governed top down. That's the free, what the freeborn Englishman really means. It's sort of yeah. earned with duty, and and mm -hmm. given by. Uh, you can naturally have that because of who your father was, in terms of naturally yeah. imitate it from your father. So you can mm -hmm. actually have that freebornness, but it is something that can be achieved by other people. What do you think of that? No, I do. I think that's quite right. I think it's. Um... I think that um, when you look at some of the people, I mean, you're talking about Shakespeare. I mean, today he's this Im immensely important poet. At the time when he was working, he was quite kind of, um, what's the word? He was almost quite rebellious in some ways and, and living on the edge because the Tudors didn't like a lot of, again, depending on the stories she want to believe but the, the Tudors were very worried about some of the things he was saying so I think 
to get that coat of arms was a kind of way to say, well, you know, okay, but I'm still part of this whole thing. You know, I want to be part of this. You can get coats of arms today. I mean, for, from the College of Arms, you don't really, it's not, it's not an achievement as it was in the past. You know, you, you basically have not, you know, not to have a criminal record. And yeah, and yeah, obviously you need money, qualifications, and be economically viable in sort of to be able to fork out the money to buy one. So I said to my mum that you know, because my my dad was a history teacher, and he he gave me my love of history, and I said, well, it might be kind of fun to get a grant of arms for him. So we did. So so I said, but I'm going to design it because, <laughs> and he um. He was known in our family as the outlaw. And I read somewhere that a wolf's head was the term for an outlaw in the Middle Ages. So I managed to get a wolf's head on his shield. <laughs> First time a wolf, I think, has ever been used in English heraldry, I think. And um, that was kind of fun because um, he, he loved it. But he also had an, an owl for his crest holding a book which was chained to his wrist because he was a teacher. Uh, but he had a, a, put a crown on there because his favourite saying used to be like, any, any bloody fool can wear a crown. Yeah. But um, <laughs> Sort of why... That's, so kind of, well, that makes a lot of sense in the sense of um, why it's a wisdom outlaw but with wisdom. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. take the risk. Was, that's what Robin Hood essentially was, does, really. Yeah. But why, yeah. But why, I mean, out, you know, why was he called outlaw? I just think they just called him the. He was always a rebel. He always rebelled yeah, yeah. against everything. He just yeah, just for yeah. the sake of it. I think I don't know whether I don't know if this was because we came from Northumberland and mm. we were in our Northland. genetic makeup. We were yeah. like lawless or something. I don't know yeah. because he was he was he had no fear at all mm. of anything. Guys bigger than he just had no fear and he was just naturally. He was very intelligent, but he was naturally rebellious against things, and he just mm. wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't lay down and roll over ever, ever in his life. Mm. So I don't know whether that's the genetic makeup or not, but I know he yeah. came from Northumberland. That's what Borderlanders are like. That's very yeah. much in the yeah. Borderlander legacy. His disagreeableness yeah. is high up there. So, mm. yeah, mm. I've done videos on that, so it makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, I saw, I saw. Yeah, and I saw your video about, um, you know, living in the Greenwood and the outdoors and all that. The street that I lived on when I was a kid, our, our council street, kind of reminded me of outlaws. In we weren't in the Greenwood; we were in a concrete jungle. But the street the way we lived, the people were—they didn't have very much, but they stuck together in a way that I've never known since. And they looked, looked out for everyone's backs, and and um, you know, you'd get people knocking on your door and saying, "Do you want twenty tins of food?" for a penny each you know you don't ask where it came from they said anything you've got to do is strip the labels yeah. off the yeah. <laughs> so that was, yeah. we never knew what we were eating yeah. but it was all that kind of thing and everyone banded together and it was you know mm. it, it, I was watching one of your programs and it hadn't really occurred to me and I thought well it was kind of like that yeah. we were you know we didn't have much but everyone in that street were really close yeah. very close knit band of people mm. and some of them were you know a bit dodgy i mean you know yeah, yeah. and so um, but good hearted yeah. right that it's the, very good yeah, very yeah. good hearted but very mm. very uh wary of people who didn't live in that particular realm, yeah you know, yeah you know so in a way it was like the the guys in the you know in show and for it well that's what um, it's for it's the greenwood is i call it a it's a meta arena if you cognitive scientists when they talk about hyper agents they call them uh that's their term for it. But I've added something to that, which is the hyper arena, which is the context. And that hyper arena has a symbol, which is the Greenwood for Robin's case. And those stories are, again, like I said, it's an external press of something that's in, in us, right? So that, because that arena is higher order, because it's intersubjective, it goes across multiple things. It's not just a wood. It yeah. also suits the places that suit that context which is like what you're talking about it's also the pub the greenwood is the pub because the place where people and, and the football and the football team with yeah. their emblem where you're, 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 you're that's your banner yeah that you you flocked it to the same way they did at Agincourt. it's that kind of well the football it's club. Still there. 
Very much yeah. so. It's all still there. And I think we should be really careful uh, with the worth of these things, especially as we move into the future, like the Herald's office. Perhaps there should be certain things you need to meet that not just money, because we know there's a lot of grubby merchants that can just buy uh, arms these days, right? So it's not such a great, uh, what do you call it, barrier of entry. And this, I've got a video coming out on this soon, which is about the royal warrant you mentioned earlier. The whole function of the king is to lift up something that has the, uh, he sensed this, it suits the moral order of the Englishman, which is in you and I, in our unconscious. We have this, we're attracted, right? So he's supposed to understand it so well to have, to identify himself with the overking, as I call it, the hyper agency, which is the moral order, by knowing the mythos, that he can look and see you. He can look and see, oh, this is a, look at this. It doesn't matter where he's from. We'll lift it up anyway. This is where, uh, tweed wearing tweed was a working man's garment in the rural villages and edward the seventh when he was prince of wales he saw out there in sport when he was sporting that this root this rat catcher garment that they now wear hunting that this was suitable for and lifted that up right and then you give it the royal warrant and what the royal warrant does is it tell other people that it's been evaluated as english and high in the hierarchy and so we then go and buy it and on the royal website they've actually degraded it in the sense that they say, if the company stops providing this thing to a certain quality to the royal estate, that's the problem, though. No, if you stop providing the quality to all of Englishmen, and it's not to the quality, that's what it should be, because it's the whole function. Why else do they show the royal warrant on the bottle or whatever it is? It's to say it's so we go and buy it, right? So it's not about the royals getting the quality materials. It's about you maintaining what is the Englishman's moral order and, and providing the material, the jackets at the certain standard that is still that for everyone. But yeah. 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 And I think um, one worrying thing that's happened fairly recently is that some of the royal warrant holders themselves have stopped displaying their little. Really? Emblem. Yeah. Really? Not sure why. But it's well, almost like we don't really want. I'm sure I would imagine the Royal Warrant Holders Association. There is an association that runs with it. They should probably say, well, if you want a Royal Warrant, you should display the Royal yeah. coat of arms. You know, you can't have your cake and eat it. If you want to be all sort of hip and say, well, actually, it doesn't mean that much. Mm. Then why do you want it? The Royal Warren people need to, hopefully they watch my video when it comes out, they need to come out publicly and say what this function is and say it's the king and uh, who understands the tradition of England has seen something in these brands that is of our value hierarchy and is of our tradition as valued and good. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the reason why we give these things to them is so you can all know that's been evaluated by us as good for England. And so when everyone understands that, then they go, great, because they do any, they did unconsciously already. You go, oh, it's got a royal warrant, right? But they, because they idiot people at the royal warrant offices don't understand that that's what it's for, really. Maybe the, some of them do, but obviously they don't, because in the proposition it says, if they stop providing it to the, to the standard for the royal household. No, you stop providing it to the standard for Englishmen as a whole. That's what, yeah. and so if you don't have it in the bylaws of it, then you don't get it, do you? Anyway, no, no, I quite agree. I think it should be a high standard overall, and um, there's nothing wrong with that. It should be achieved. I think simple as that. Well, maybe you can talk a bit to that when you first, uh, when what first drove you into the arts? What, 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 what impelled you to your? I wish I could say it was some road to Damascus moment where mm. you know the heavenly choir started singing and mm. it wasn't it was um it was a hollywood film right wow <laughs> it was the problem it was yeah, I, yeah. I was about i would say eight years old and i was watching a film really awful film actually um, it was called the black shield of Falworth mm. with tony curtis and in it he has to his family's been dishonored for something that's happened in the past where his father was dishonored and he's trying to get his family name back. And to do that, he has to become a, a squire in this household of the local lord. I can't remember. And he goes to 
But in that Lord has a library, and in that library he has this great book of heraldry. And I remember a bit as a kid going in, watching that thing where he sneaks into the library and he opens this great big leather book and there's all these coats of arms painted on vellum pages. And I, that sort of struck a chord. I don't know why, I'd, you know, I have no idea, but I thought I'd like to do that. You know, I, I mean, I was eight years old, so I didn't even know, you know, if I could even do that. I wanted to be a knight, of course, what the yeah. kid does. I mean, um, either that or an outlaw. Um <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'll talk about that later. Actually. It's got a quite amusing story about that. But um, yeah, I, um, another film, of course, was um, Robert Taylor, um, The King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Mm. Uh, that was made in 1953. Mm. The Herald, there's heraldry in that all over the place. Mm. And I just loved, I just loved it. I loved the colour, the pageantry, and it just it stuck a, you know, struck a chord. And um, I started drawing knights and shields and, mm. and just carried on and carried on. Thing was, though, I didn't know anything about how to, I didn't even know about the College of Arms at that mm. stage. I think I didn't, first time I came across the College of Arms was when I was 14 years old. I was working for my grandfather at the Royal Opera House mm. as a summer job. He, he did all the upholstery in the theatre. And so I did a lot of um, donkey work for him. But on the way back, I was walking back to his house in uh, Shoreditch. And so, um, I happened to go up Queen Victoria Street. Yeah. And saw this building with heraldry on it, Queen Anne yeah. building. And I thought, oh, wow. And I've stood there looking. There's a tap on my shoulder. And this chap says, are you interested in heraldry? And I went, well, I, you know, I like it. You know, yeah. I look like a kid from, um, I was covered in filth. I look like um, something out of Oliver Twist. Yeah. You know, I was, I was yeah. an absolute mess. Yeah. And this guy said, "Well, he said, come on in." And it turned out he was the Lancaster Herald. Yeah. And he took me upstairs to the attic rooms where they were all the Herald painters were all working away. Yeah. Like, like a monastery. <laughs> I know it's, it yeah. was insane. And uh, then he went into the records room and he showed me all the old medieval books and things. Yeah. And I was, you know, so one of the artists called Norman Mannering. He said, "You can study. There's mm. a college in Rygate in Surrey. It's the only college of its kind. Mm. If you go there." Uh, apply to go there you know it's a three-year course and they will teach you um how to paint a coat of arms do calligraphy mm. and traditional manuscripts mm. so um that's what i did i went to salisbury art college first did a pre-ba foundation mm. so that was drawing sculpture photography painting mm. and then i took then i applied to reigate the chap that ran the course anthony wood he was a superb craftsman but I went with my portfolio from Salisbury, which was all very sort of contemporary and right on, you know, and he just looked at it and thought, no. Mm. So I didn't get the place. So I thought, mm. well, I'm not going to be put down because this is what I want to do. So I worked for a year as a cleaner at a hospital for, um, we used to call it mentally handicapped, but you're not supposed to use those terms today. But anyway, I was a cleaner there for a year. And, um, I worked on a new portfolio over that year and I went back the following year and then I got on the course and I did three years. Mm. And it was pretty intensive training and um, and it went on from there. I got a, I went back to the College of Arms and worked part-time. I used to live down in Dorset at the time. So I used to get the train up to London once a week, deliver work, collect work, go back. And that went on until 1995. And then the chap that I worked for who was, um, you know, I have to say this, because, he's, because he was the guy that really helped my career was a chap called Sir Conrad Swan, but he wasn't English. He was he was Canadian right. and Polish. Polish. Right. Mm. And I, I think he had this kind of new world mentality that he mm. didn't, you know, my accent, I was, you know, I came from a council estate mm. in East London and I, you know, and that sort of thing in this field can. Oh, really? Has, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. It's a bit prejudicial, you know. Mm. But he didn't think like that. He was, um, he had that sort of new world mentality. Yeah, you, mm. I like what you do, so I'm going to give you work. Mm. And it just went on from there. And the other chap that helped me was a cap, chap called um, Sorta Verco. Mm. And he had actually worked his way up at the College of Arms in the 1920s from a tea boy and ended up a King of Arms, which is the top position you can get. Yeah. So he was another one who came from a very ordinary background. And so he 
he kind of helped me as well. So that was that was quite good. Of, so how did it, and they uh, gave me? Sorry, I was, I was just going to say, how was it? When did you know? Okay, now I'm doing this thing, and what was that like to find to finally have it manifesting? Right when you first did your first tra- jobs for the traditional uh, the college, the, the arms uh, place. Well, yeah, I was. Well, I was kind of overawed, really. I mean, uh, the the building itself is dates from Queen Anne. It's all you know, mahogany and polished, and there's banners and crests and. You know, and it's you're walking, you're walking back in time. I mean, you literally are sort of stepping through a door, three hundred years. You know, it's amazing, and it just hasn't really changed. They even, I think, the heralds even still get paid about sixteen pounds a year. Yeah, right. It hasn't, it hasn't changed since sixteen hundreds. Yeah, and so, and so, <laughs> so you, and you, there's like, take us back to the first job you did for them. You're entering the building on the first whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, I went in there and. um uh, there was all these lovely vellums on the desk with coats of arms. And actually, the first job I did wasn't heraldry. It was actually calligraphy. They said, would, you, would I write the pattern? So I took the pattern home. The, the art had already been done by another chap called John Bainbridge. And um, I can remember just being totally kind of excited about the whole thing because, you know, I trained for this. And I'd wanted to do this. And here I was you know, with this piece of vellum and my inks and my calligraphy pens and nervous as hell because I didn't want to make any mistakes. But, you know, I did it. And at that time, I have to say, I wasn't really aware of the, I was aware of the tradition to a certain extent, obviously, but it it hadn't quite sunk in at that point. After a couple of years, it really started to sink in that, you know, I got a a phone call from a chap saying, um, Seen your work, very impressed. Wondered if you'd like to do a small job for us. I went, yeah, absolutely. He said, I can't tell you what it is. So you either agree to it or you don't. So I said, well, yeah, of course, of course I'll do it. So he said, that's fine. Um, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a letter. And in the letter came this um, saying that we want, we want you to do the letters patent creating uh, Prince William the Duke of Cambridge. Mm. I thought we well, no pressure. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, then, then all of a sudden, as you know, I, I was painting this E for Elizabeth, and it had the royal coat of arms and the crown and the lion and the cipher, and and all of a sudden it hit me that here I am. This is wow. This has been guys have been doing this for thousand years at House of Lords. They've been writing these documents and illuminating these documents, these royal documents. It's like, yeah, that gives me goosebumps a little bit, thinking about it, because it was absolutely incredible to be doing that. And and then um, just working, and working in traditional materials, of course, with the vellum, with the gold, doing everything, not just the calligraphy, but doing the heraldry and the illumination. Um everything I've been trained to do. And that was absolutely, yeah, that was a quite a defining moment for me. And I just I was suddenly aware of, well, all these craft sort of ancestors who must have done this. They've been doing this for Edward III, Edward IV, Richard III. <laughs> just all the way down. It's incredible. I mean, and here I am, Andy Jameson from the council estate in Dagenham, who's sitting there doing the same kind of work. I mean, I would love to know who those people were. I really would. Who was the calligrapher that wrote Magna Carta? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the propositions are going through that person's brain when they're writing. They're a part of it yeah. as well. They're, yeah. they're recognizing what it means. Like you're talking about with the writing of the Elizabeth thing. It's it's almost the significance of the event, too, when you're writing it. Because you're not just a copy. You're not a machine. You're uh, no. participating no. in the actual proposition, which is a form of something that's open to the people that are originally saying what it's saying whoever decided what it needs to be that's in you as well when you're doing it and so what you're yeah. adding in a sense with the is you're adding the tonality to the uh, like we have tonality now between us because a proposition doesn't have tonality to it when it's on a piece of paper but when i when i use what maybe what you watch my videos when i articulate something properly with the right emotive that's what you're adding in a sense right but it's not yeah, yeah. just emotiveness yeah in terms of just some added garnish 
that actually helps open the truth of whatever the being of the thing is. So people think it's just, oh, oh, I'm interested in this because he's very emotive. No, no, no. It's when it's aligned, it helps actually open to what the, is behind what the proposition is. So that is, in a sense, what you do. What do you think about that? Is that you, it actually adds the things that can't be said in writing that are said perhaps in person of events? Well, yeah, I, I think uh, from my point of view, from a purely uh, decorative form, um, the, what I love about this work at the, the Crown Office is that you can illuminate the document any way you want. Yeah, right. They don't tell you, you've got to have an E, capital yeah. E. Yeah. That's it. Mm. You can then choose any royal symbols or whatever you feel like. But when it comes to the borders, each side, you've got free reign. Right. And so then you can draw on all that kind of, you know, stuff. And just, I mean, the one I did for the Duke of Cambridge, I, I had, um, I think he was in the Air Force at the time and he was doing air sea rescue. And, um, and I thought, well, He's going to be Prince of Wales at some stage. So I, yeah. I did this red dragon yeah. flying in the margin. Yeah. He was literally rescuing the Lion of England. He was pulling yeah. the Lion of England by one four. You know, just doing little things like that. But yeah. they loved it. You know, they, they said, this is really funny. It's fun. But it's but it's fun. But it, that is now enshrined <laughs> in a document for the next thousand years. It's going to be quite interesting as thousand years time. Someone but, looking at that and thinking, what is the significance of this red dragon? It might have been lost by then, but I don't know. But it, it'll be quite interesting. That just, but, gave, um, that just gave me sort of shivers down my spine because in a way, that's so amazing that, yes, because that's an Englishman who isn't the, mm-hmm. the ruler, but he's the folk, right? He's the part of the folk. Yeah. He's sensing. Yeah. And maybe you can talk about how it, it just emerged for you, I guess, this idea of the dragon. It's just tell us, maybe you can talk about a bit about your process about how you let those things open to you about how wh- how you do that. But that's amazing to me because that's what we need now. We need a, we need the Prince of Wales, hopefully it's William perhaps, to pull and save the English from what's going on. So this this maybe this is something that's deep down is felt, right? It's, maybe. But that yeah. is how these things are. That's the point of allowing you to, to do that stuff because it's mm. symbolic. Mm. It's something it's that can mediate. And maybe you don't simple. even know. Maybe you no. don't even know why you was picked. It was something in your being that just recognized it, perhaps. Because that's where we are. We do need the dragon to come down and re- do. rescue the yeah, lion. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I've always had the interest in um, King Arthur and and the um, you know the dragon was always an emblem of Arthur. And yeah, and I, maybe in my subconscious, I'm just yes. thinking. You know, I'm drawing on that Arthurian thing. The dragon is yeah. saving the Lion of England. I hadn't even thought about it until you said it. But, yeah, that's um, because he will come, you know, the once and future king. He will come yeah. back and save us, you know. So maybe there's some of that in there without even realizing. Yeah, well, absolutely. that's what I believe that's in. That, in the sense that these mythos are an expression, an inter- yeah. external press of something that's in our unconscious or you could say behind manifestation. That's an English way of being. Yeah. So that's our moral order. So it's perfectly what should happen is when there is chaos, a king should rise to return it to the order. Then perhaps other things can return, you know. But in the moment, we're at the moment we are not. We are disordered. We need that. So things. And Jung said, Jung said that the unconscious picks up things before uh, they actually happen. So this is what twenty years ago or something, or how long ago was this? well, it's in 2012, I think. Something right, like this is recently. So, oh man, it must have yeah. you in, something in you. We're, we're recognizing <laughs> this problem to 2012, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the something, and that's share, that's collective in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And it's now become definitely part of our consciousness. And mm. um, and I love, you know, I still get a thrill seeing those three gold lines on a red shield. Every, oh, yeah. Every time, I, every time I paint, though, I just, you know, I, you know, I'm, I have to be careful because I'm living in Scotland, but um, <laughs> yeah. might, might get a brick through my window or something. But, um, the thing is, I've always I've always tried to make my heroic animals. Or people have noticed it. You know, they're quite ferocious. They're quite mm. masculine in a way. Uh, yeah. One of the heralds at the College of Arms, he said, "What I like about your work, Mr. Jameson, is he said it's 
it's not manby pamby it's direct and it's yeah. manly so it's you know your yeah. lions are ferocious they look like they're going to take you on yeah and with and i think that's what heroic beasts should be about you know they're yeah. hungry you know you're not why you know you're this is representing the person as back in the day as a warrior yeah so you know you're not going to have a kind of defeat lion you're going to want a lion that says here i am come and try me if you're hard enough you know it's that kind of and i mean usually they're for masculine they're for men right so and what that's the will it's a manifestation of the words out in the world for something whatever that symbol may be it's for for the sake yeah. of something whatever that herald might uh, stand yeah. for that the heraldry might stand for for that particular family it's for the sake of that it's not receiving something which feminist is to receive it's sort of the you know it's to yeah. react, yeah. reactive or to receive whereas masculine is active and out there so that makes a lot of sense that's what i was trying to work out with the lion and the unicorn mental i was looking through all these things to to get maybe you can comment on that um. well there's a lion there are lions in uh, depicted in assyro babylonian mm. pictures so they're you know they're all, but no the, when i say they're french what i meant the red and the gold where they're used oh yeah that. yeah that's all I meant. I mean, yeah, the light symbol itself. Um, the unicorn, I'm not sure. I mean, I know, obviously, it's Scotland's national beast, but it was only been not Scotland's national beast since King James V, mm. um, which was probably in the late 15th century. Mm. Um, it was around before then, sort of on and off, but it didn't become a, the national beast of Scotland until then. And it is quite amusing that um, there are some people north of the border who think that because he's wearing... The royal unicorn wears a crown with a chain mm. that he's actually been chained by the english yeah and i always yeah. Had, i always had to point out no 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 the unicorn was chained by king james v he chose yeah. that as his royal piece and he put that crown and chains this to say he was he was capturing a unicorn yeah because unicorns aren't these little rainbowy friendly no they're savage mean, these little they were savage absolutely mm. They were really savage, and to capture one was quite a thing to do. So, and, you know, when so, and the the original um, biblical meaning of unicorn means uh, it's a very emotional beast, but mm -hmm. it's a maiden that 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 leads it into a, a, her grove, and then yeah. I think by offering it uh, love or something, I can't remember exactly, and then she puts the yeah. chain on it. I'm pretty sure. So it has nothing yeah, to right. do with the English yeah. doing that. But that kind well, of speaks no, to no. Scottish, that sort of uh, Celtic uh, emotion, but, but powerful, mm. powerful, yeah, but right. if you, if more powerful if you're focused with logic and law and that sort of thing. So in a sense, that really does reflect it, is that a Scottish king, because as we know, the Scottish king is the person who united the kingdoms. A Scot was the person who did it. So people yeah, who all want to leave, it was a Scot. Anyway, but that makes sense, though, to bring to this sort of raw, powerful Celticness uh, ruler you know, to, to direct that somewhere. So it does make sense that the, the unicorn being their symbol. Do you uh, have so, any sort of highlight projects that uh, you, you might want to talk about? Just uh, some stuff that you've worked on that uh, is meaningful for you and your process for making it, that jobs that you've had over the, your career? I did a um, double page spread from Wolfram von Aschenbach Parzival, mm. which is an Arthurian tale. About the holy, you know, night looking for the Holy Grail. So, um, what do you do with that? Do you read it first and then think about what, what's your process? Yeah, for yeah. It? There was well, there was one, there was one, um, there was one particular uh, phrase that I read in the book, which inspired one page. Was that he looked into the sky, looked at the stars and strange secrets he saw. Hmm. That inspired one page. A guy called Flegitanus, who I think was in this book was a, a Jewish astrologer. So I did a whole, I did all the calligraphy from that page. And then I, it's on my website. I did um, sort of the universe and all kinds of symbols and things going on there, planets and stars. Mm. But the other one was the procession of the grail itself. It described the, um, the, uh, the grail maiden and the procession. But what fascinates me about that story is it's not a cup. Mm. The Grail was a green stone fallen from heaven. Mm. This was written in 1100 and something or 1200 by a German knight. Mm. And um, I've always found that really kind of 
fascinating on why it's almost heretical as well for the time. So this Greenstone, I've, I've always had that sort of fascination with that. And um, he talks about this um, order of knights, mm. a, a castle called Mont Salvage, mm. where the grail's kept and this order of knights that protects it, who wear white robes, mm. who are very Templar kind of, you know, and, and, and they've actually, I think even the Nazis sent one of their archaeologists to look for the grail down in the south of France. Yeah, because they went. He went to Montsegur, mm. the, the castle fortress, thinking that that might be Montauvage where the gravel was. Yeah. Um. So it's a, it's a fascinating book. But that was that was kind of interesting, and I was hoping that if Sir Paul saw this and I could get him interested enough, he'd commission the whole book. Yeah. To write the illuminated manuscript, but unfortunately, um, sadly, he died, and um, yeah. so it never came to fruition. Well, that's so a very. I've still got. Yeah. Oh, you still got the what? Sorry, I've still got the I've still got the vellum. Well, my brother's got it. Yeah, got it. Oh, that's good. You keep it in the family. But oh yeah, absolutely. But the, yeah. You, the symbol that you mentioned, what's interesting about the 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 stone that comes from heaven, is what the Grail is. Is the Grail is essentially like the cave. That's the reason it has that shape. Because the Grail is initiation. It's the place you go down, you go into, so you can have the the liquid that's inside, which is the Essentially, it's the Holy Spirit, right? So you have to go through the initiation to open yourself to this higher order being. And so the reason why the stone is, comes from heaven is because it's, it's a pathway from he heaven. It's a way. It's the black stone. I think from memory, the black stone is a... Uh, it's, uh, it's like flint. Flint was a uh, sort of that dark-ish stone um, that... Um, as a symbol to mediate, because um, it was spark, right? Um, to to that was a symbol for how people understood heavenly power, because it sparks, it strikes. So there's two different types of that. There's um, one that's uh, fallen, and there's one that you can never have as a human. There's sort of the lightning power, and then there's the there's the smith power, which is the you know when we spark things with hammers and that sort of thing. So. That's where that's from. So both the stone and the Holy Grail itself are both symbols of that initiation. So that makes a lot of sense. Green, I've not heard that before. Green, because no, green, green is usually a different it's... kind of color. It's more the yeah. chaos color. It's more well, sometimes it demons I mean, the... are green. Well, the emerald on Lucifer's crown was an yeah the stone on Lucifer's crown was an emerald. So... Yeah, it's infernal. Yeah. Usually, it means infernal. And, and but there was that this might be... there... sorry, but there was I think. That... I used to go to Glastonbury a lot. I love that place. Kind of yeah. wacky and out there, but I used to go there quite a lot. And um, they had a they they were selling this stone that fell in. Um, it's a part of a meteorite that landed in um, Moldova or somewhere, yeah. like that. or maybe it was um, Czechoslovakia. I don't know. I can't remember. Slovenia somewhere. Anyway, they sell jewelry made of this stone, but this stone is mm. vaguely, slightly weird because I did I bought a piece of it. Because I was into the sort of guide your crowd thing. I was thinking, yeah, yeah. Maybe this is a stone falling around. But anyway, every time I walked past a radio or a TV, it, this stone affected the reception. Of the so it's a meteorite. So I'm wondering, you know, I used to think, oh, I wonder if that's Wolfram's stone. I don't know. But um, it was in, uh, that was just a side thing. But I just like, You still have it? That's very imagination strange. going into. That is very strange. It affects the radio. <laughs> I've never yeah, heard yeah, of yeah, stone. Actually, I know magnets, you know, Mike. That's yeah, very, yeah. It might be radioactive. That's what I thought. Maybe it's got radioactive. Yeah, wow. Well, well, these things are synchronous. The world is much more complicated yeah. than we realize. What what we see this in quantum mechanics when you go the, all the way to the bottom of physics is that well well some of the stuff that Jung said about synchronicity is I don't know don't rule that stuff out even Bernardo Katzstrop talks about that and he's a very rigorous uh, philosopher even though he says he can't prove it analytically is that all the stuff he's seen demonstrated the strange things synchronous events happening that link up with meaning in your life that uh, you know the quantitative means of endless experiment can't pick up. Because they're unique to a certain circumstance. So, but most of my work really is just um, the bread and butter work is just designing coats of arms for mostly Americans. Yeah, right. See, yeah. there you go. They yeah. are more Anglo-Saxon interested in that sort of thing than people realise. Well, it's the it's the Amer yeah, and the, the Scottish American. You know, the, the mm. ones who are interested in Scots history and all this. I mean, um, and 
I found that I lived in Virginia for a little while mm. and um, I traveled around a bit. But, you know, there's a lot of, um, I, used to, I used to really enjoy ribbing my American friends by saying that the revolution mm. was actually fought by Englishmen. Yeah. For, for the freeborn rights of Englishmen. Yeah. Yeah, it's true though. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. You know, yeah. They were on the side of the like king. A... They wanted the king to step in. The Virginia. There's a book about this. They wanted the yeah. king to rule, and yeah. because the elites were the problem. And then even yeah. now we see the American elites are the problem. Yeah, it's not no, the people. Uh, the people would have been. No, it's not the people. No, yeah. the people are great. I, I love Americans, and um, you know, I really do love the generosity of spirit, and um, they're very honest. You know, decent people. Mostly mm. the ones I've met and the, the clients I've got who are records are fantastic. They're brilliant. Mm. Well, all my patrons are really because they're all just really interested in what I do and they just mm. want to be, they want to kind of have this identity that's mm. because everything now is just so, you know, we're like you said, we're animals, we're numbers, we're, we're just mm. been becoming this globule of civilization, which is like meaningless. So, so many of them are coming forward and saying, well, I want coat of arms i want to stand out i want to be different i want to look like i'm part of that not yeah. part of this and yeah. and i think yeah great absolutely that's what we need more of that we want people to say i'm you know i'm proud to have this coat of arms because it yeah. represents me my children my wife you know all the way down the line so um i think it's you know it's kind of essential in a way the way the world's going at the moment you know, i <laughs> Well, that's essentially what you do. When in this, summing up everything we've talked about, is you're br- you're bringing people into out of the dead, the death world, helping to as a herald in a way by by give, showing the message, the the emotive of what it is to in, yeah. to articulate their story as a meaningful thing, as a illuminated thing, and that's what people actually want. You mediate for them what they really are, because as you said, people have all these ideas, and you boil them down to. A particular yeah, shield, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I ask them a set of simple questions. You know, yeah. ethnicity, if they want religious beliefs yeah. shown, um, their career, what they've done, what where they're at, you know, who, what their fathers did, maybe anything like that. Any any kind of symbol that symbolizes their father, their grandfather, anything like that. Be a hammer, anything. And um, I try to put it together. I mean, heraldry is a, like I said, it needs to be really simple. It's a system. Mm. There is a system to it. You can't, you know, you've got to use, there's only five colors. There's two metal. You can't put a color on a color and you can't put a metal on a metal. They have to, you have to take what into consideration. So, so when you're designing these things, but it's amazing that you can still come up with something very, I mean, there must be thousands and thousands of shields of arms mm. out there. And yet, um, we are, I'm still, kind of designing original shields that don't look like anything else and i think that's yeah. that's the real fun of it that's the challenge of it to do that for people and tell their story you know they make them make it their legend yes you know, that, their family legend you know that's what it, it's a symbol of their legend their family i think yeah. that's great well, maybe you can tell us some more of rules that are particular that stand out from heraldry <clears throat> like the color one yeah well there's like I say, there's you shouldn't have color on color, but there are variations to that. Um, or metal, gold and silver. There's there's red, blue, black, green, and purple. They're the five colors. Yeah. There's gold and silver, and then there's various furs, ermine, ermineized, mm. and some more. Um, so you can't have a color on a color, except in the case of the flag of Albania, which has a black eagle on a red flag. Yeah. And then in Switzerland, there's a load, there's endless coats of arms that have got gold lions on silver field. So, mm. but the idea was that it was supposed to be, you couldn't identify something at a distance if it's gold and silver. Mm. We don't use silver anymore. We use white instead of mm. silver when we're working. So, um, so there's those rules. And then you've got um, an ordinary gentleman can only have a shield, a helmet, and a crest mm. on top of the helmet and a motto. Mm. That's all he's allowed. And a certain kind of helmet, which is a tilting helmet, tournament helm. Right. Um, a knight 
the same, but he gets a helmet that's front facing with a visor that's open. Right. And then a baron is allowed to have a coronet of rank. That's um, a gold crown with five pearls on it. And he's allowed two supporters to support his shield. Right. And then going up from there, dukes and princes, they, they use different coronets and crowns, but they all have supporters and things like that. So but there's about five, six different versions of a coat of arms as you progress up. Not that you do. Makes sense because um, you say you have the gent, his helmet's closed. That's sort of okay. He's been lifted into England. Yeah. He's, he's, but he's been lifted. Yeah. He's been lifted into England's yeah. story, right? But he hasn't proven mm. him. Like perhaps hasn't fully proven himself as a combat. He hasn't been knighted, so yeah. he's, he can't be an individual yeah. yet. Because you have to yeah. really be of the procedures of the place to be a full, full-fledged freeborn to promote yourself as yourself. Mm. You really need to prove that you have the procedures that are uh, virtuous of England, right? So then, then you're knighted. Because of your combat yeah. and service, and so your visor's open. It makes a lot of sense. It makes yeah, a lot of sense. Yeah. So the start I, I, of I, 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 please. One yeah. thing I do do is if I I do a lot of um, coats of arms for military, and a lot of them have served in combat. Yeah. And if they served in combat, I always put a paint, a battle scar on their helmet that wow. looks like been hit by an axe or something. It's That's got great. Like yeah, just and they seem to like that because, but I I'll only do it for people that have actually been in combat. Yeah, and um, yeah, so that that's the little sort of thing that I do for them, um, which is great because then they hand it on to their kids. Yeah, the kid probably says that's my dad's thing, and that's a you know battle scar sort of thing. So yeah, it's good fun. I mean, it's great fun, but it's it brings it alive. The good thing and, is though um, is that you're you've got the you because they come to you because you have the standards. So no. I'll do this if you've been in combat, but if someone asks for, for it, then, well, hang on, you're asking for arms. No, yeah. that's not the rules, right? No, no. I've added this no. thing for meaning. People come to me because mm -hmm. I have a certain authority. I'm not going to just mm -hmm. give things unless they're true, right? So that's the whole point of it. And so that's what you're the, yeah. the sort of magician who, <laughs> or the sage who brings these things together and articulates yeah. it. And uh, it needs to, that same thing with the royal wands. You've got to maintain the thing. So, it's earned, okay, there's a reputation here, people from this College of Arts, um, so from this, uh, that have done this kind of work, uh, know what it means, and they don't, uh, uh, they don't uh, breach that, that sort of honor code, because that's what we have as, as this old European country, is this honor thing, to just give it out, that's the, prob the problem, is we've just given it out, and the government's corrupted it so much by even letting right. people that aren't Christian into the Order of the Garter, stuff like that, it's just wrong. Um, but I think it's um, I think you say like you say it's just the government's got control of it now the king doesn't I think there's only one order of chivalry that the king has control of mm. it's in his personal gift and that's the Victorian order yeah. Royal Victorian order I think he's allowed to give that to everyone but I think all the others are controlled by a government committee and they, they put forward people that are to receive it and I don't think the king has any say in it it's not how it's supposed to be. They tried no, to, the king tried to stop it. I think King George, when, oh no, it was Edward, because mm. he had more experience, is the government mm. really pressed him to bring some oil, uh, uh, someone from Saudi Arabia into the thing or whatever it was. He said, no, this is a Christian order. I'm not doing that. What he should have done is just mm. said, no, I'm not doing that and just stuck to it. And that's what we really need now as a king. He has the rights to really even take over the whole thing <laughs> if he really wanted to. Well, he's, he could, you know, at the end of the day, he's. Really. he's He's giving it out. He's handing it out. It's in his name. Mm. So he, I think he probably should have a, a bit of a say in. <laughs> well, they, they don't want to risk yeah. the, the job, but if you don't risk the job, the whole country's gone anyway to this technocratic yeah. modernism. Really, I'd be the king that was the last king that went hell for leather for tradition and said, no, enough of this. Sacked government, sacked everything. I'm doing it. If we lose, if the monarchy's gone after this, and it'll be such a great end. It should be at end because it's going to die anyway, unless you do. Um, but that, what he'd be thinking is, oh, I don't want to rock, perhaps I don't want to rock boat too much. But really, we need someone who steps forward and says, retakes all his true rights, which are there for the English themselves, and makes the case directly to them. 
not to go too much into that because you do work in that area and for those people. So this is all my opinion. It's not his opinion. It's not mine. <laughs> yeah, right. But, um, I don't want to go to the... I don't want to go to the tower quite. Yeah, I don't want to go to the tower. It'll be the bloody government that sends you there, not the king anyway. The king's probably agreeing with everything I'm saying if, if the people are listening. But um, so what, maybe as I've sort of uh, getting close to the end here, is perhaps you could talk a bit about your, I don't, have you done anything for your children? What are you going to do with the works? Are you going to pass, you know, pass them down? Yeah, I mean, my, my kids have already got various pieces that I've done for them. Um, I, uh, I've got a, I've I've got, um, I want to do a coat of arms, paint of our own arms for my son. Um, I, my father had a grant in England, but I've been living in Scotland. So I applied for one here. So we've now got Scottish and an English, <laughs> which I can quarter on the same shield. Having the, oh, uh, great. But, but the one in, the one I had done, well, my wife paid for it. It was a 60th birthday present. Yeah. And I've got, um, it's very simple. Just a white shield with a red and blue band with three, three white shields on it because the three white shields was always, or the white shield was an emblem of a medieval painter. Right. The shield's waiting to be painted. So, um, very simple, almost really medieval coat. I'm lucky I've got away mm. with it, really. So I'm going to do, um, I want to do a painting of that for him. Um, but my kids, you know, all, I handed out a lot of work to members of the family. I had a gold signet ring as eldest son because as an eldest son you use your father's arms with a, a label across the top of three points right and that was a really poignant moment actually and the moment my dad died i sort of turned around to richard and i took my signet ring off and i said this is yours now wow because i've just got my father's coat of arms and this is yours so, yeah and that, that that was quite powerful and um that was sort of heraldry and tradition in action literally it's kind yes. of quite a poignant moment but, See, um, that's what it's for. That's why we need yeah. it, right? Yeah. It, it allows that the narr- the imbuedness allows those moments between father and son. Because yeah. think about it. We've stopped having our uh, school dances. We don't have these rituals anymore. That's a ritual yeah. that this thing yeah. existed for. The signet ring, which has the thing, it's passed down. And then it's proper. The funeral isn't just a thing that's over and you're left in your room thinking about it. You've actually had this thing that's handed down and given to you. It's, yeah. We are procedural creatures. We yeah. are participatory yeah. creatures. We need that, right? It's important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so that's a, for everyone. Uh, I think that people should... I'm going to get one now, if that's the case, because I didn't should. know about... Because well, it's a moment. It's a proper ritual. I might even talk about yeah. it. What does that mean? You said yeah. there's something about the signet ring. What's the significance of how it's structured? You said something about the design. on it. Obviously, it's the heraldry. Yeah, what else was it? It's a gold ring that you wear on your little, yeah. little finger. And yeah. um, you can have either the crest. Tradition is to have the crest nowadays. Yeah. The, the thing that's on top of the helmet on the ring. But I, I never like that. I, um, I like the medieval thing of having the shield yeah. on the ring. Because yeah. the shield is more important to me. And um, so I had, you know, we had the we had the rings engraved by an engraver in Kent. Um, very good engraver. And a Dexter ring. And... Um, they so they put the shield on it's not very big it was only about um i haven't got my signet on it but um mm. it's only a quarter of an inch or something it's really small it's not yeah i've seen big. them before but, yeah 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 and it's um i just we just had the shield on it and my one was the shield with the label and yeah so i get my father's richard gets mine then if he has a son which i hope he will at some stage you know when when the worst comes the worst he will do the yeah. same thing, you know, and, it, and so it goes on. Well, and yeah, it's funny you, with, with, with the shield that you uh, you mentioned, that's very significant for what you are. It makes sense to me that uh, as a blank shield with the colors behind it, because, well, this is the person that imbues meaning. Yeah. It yeah. being blank is more significant than ever putting some animal on it, actually. It's, it's the only yeah. one that probably is blank like that, right? It's like, oh, yes, that these are the people that bring meaning. From you know mm-hmm. that uh, from being from true being they look into being and then imbue it onto it so it's very significant to me that that it, that it should have that on it yeah it's, it's a, it was a you know like I said it was a very poignant moment actually and I hadn't really thought about it until it actually happened yeah. that process of handing it over to Richard and I thought again wow you know that 
happened so many times in a family over the over the centuries you know that ring you know we come down through generation after generation after generation mm. and it kind of marks of you know who you are and what you belong to and i think that's a good thing i like that you know what you belong to and that's again what you do is that you ground people in historical being and that's what we've lost we've been disconnected from historical being so what i hope bringing this to a close is that what you do is passed down again and again as well so we can continue to help ground our friends in america in the antipodes in canada uh, in their actual ancestry and their true uh, and their true historical yeah. being so is there anything else you wanted to say before we bring it to a, to a close no not really i mean it's been a great chatting to you i'm sure uh, i hope people have found it interesting um mm. you know it, it's it is an unusual thing to be doing in 2023, but um, it is threatened. It's threatened by computers. Mm. Um, obviously, people can knock these things up with computers very quickly now. Mm. Um, so the, the actual hand-made element of it is probably a dying art, which is kind mm. of sad. There's not mm. many people doing it anymore. Um, so the, there is a lot of computer-generated types of arms being produced. Some are very good, some mm. are not so. Um, because you still, the problem is you to do this, it is an art form. You've got to understand mm. design and drawing mm. and, and form mm. and balance. Mm. And, you know, and a computer can do so much, but mm. if you haven't got that sort of um, ability, then the, the, the things that they produce are always let down, unfortunately. Um, but my course that I worked on that closed years ago. Right. There's a few part-time courses knocking around that people can go and learn, but um, unfortunately, the actual the College of Arms obviously keeps it going because they're employing artists who train their next generation of artists, and so mm. they'll always be producing hand-painted. Yes. Um, coats of arms, which is a good thing. Which is a good thing, and and in Canada, Canada and Scotland. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anywhere else. They're the, they're the three main ones I can think of. Oh, in Belgium. Uh, Belgium as well. They've got heraldic authority. I think all their documents are all done by hand. Right. So, go you know, they're... Yeah, go on. No, I should say that there are, you know, the, the work is being continued in the official body. Yeah. But, you know, um, and... With regards to me, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I do a, the uh, stuff for the Crown Office, but that's few and far between. Mm. So really, um, it's it's living on just through the work that I do, and um, so I don't know where it's going in the future and uh, the actual handmade element of it. I don't know, but uh, through the existing bodies, College of Arms, etc., it carry it will carry on, which is mm. good. 